We are in uh, week three of the season that we call Advent. Um, Advent is these, the first, the, the four Sundays prior to Christmas. Um, we didn't really get into it much this year. Sometimes I think I've told you this in the past. The, there's a Christian here. There's a Christian calendar, and we have the calendar that runs January, February, March, etc., with all of those holidays: New Year's and Memorial Day and and Arbor Day. I don't know why we need a whole day for trees, but apparently we do. But there's a Christian calendar, and this is a calendar that that transcends where you are. I mean, have you ever thought about it? Our our friends in Great Britain don't celebrate Memorial Day on the last Monday of May. They don't. Now, most of us celebrate something on the 11th of November, Veterans Day in Europe, often called Armistice Day. But the church has this calendar that unifies us across national boundaries. And the church here does not start on the 1st of January or the, the Sunday before or after school starts. The church calendar starts four Sundays before Christmas. Because the life of the church is to be guided and molded and formed and informed by the life death, resurrection, and ministry of Jesus. So we have these four weeks that we use to prepare ourselves for Christmas. Just like we have 40 days to prepare ourselves for Lent. 40 days to prepare ourselves, four weeks, excuse me, to prepare ourselves for Christmas. And this year, what we're doing is we're looking and we're discovering the many promises of God that were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. The many promises that were fulfilled then, 2,000 years ago when he was born, and are fulfilled today by the birth of Jesus. This is a time when we celebrate all that is available to us through Jesus and so we have these, these themes of Advent, hope and peace and joy, and next week we'll look at love. You know, that first week we, we discovered that God's promised hope comes in the form of a person, Jesus. And it's Jesus that meets our deepest longings and is our hope for our present and our future. Last week we looked at the promise of peace that was given to, to lowly shepherds. That there would be a new government that would bring peace to the world. Peace to them. And today we're looking at, at joy. And like previous Sundays, we're going to spend both some time in Isaiah and some time in Luke. In particular, in Isaiah 40 and in Luke 1. So if you want to go ahead and start turning, stick a finger in at Luke 1, stick another finger in at Isaiah 40. You all know that I love Christmas. We've, we've talked about this from time to time. I love the religious side of it. I love what we're celebrating in the coming of Jesus, in the, in the Messiah, the Emmanuel, the God with us. 
but also the, the promise of Christmas that Jesus will come again. And I think sometimes we forget that proclaiming that Christ will come again in a, in a second advent is part of the Christmas message. I think we get, we get really wrapped up in that, in that manger outside Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph and the baby and the animals and the, and the shepherds and maybe the wise men show up at some point and then there's that weird kid who brings the drum and we get wrapped up in all of that. And we forget that Christmas is also a proclamation that Jesus will come again. But you know, I love all the, all the sort of like cultural stuff too. I love the, the Rankin and Bass claymation specials. Love Charlie Brown, The Grinch, any version of a Christmas carol that I can see. Muppets is the best, closely followed by George C. Scott. Miracle on 34th Street, the newer one, the older one, I, I don't care for as much, but the, the, the newer one is awesome. There's, there's the food, there's the, the candy and the, and the cookies and the, the stuff that just doesn't seem to go away and is just so incredibly tempting when you're trying to lose weight. There's the family that gathers around the table. And sometimes we're blessed enough that it's that it's biological family, and sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're in a place and biological family can't be there, and, but it's still family. It's church family and it's friends and gathered around. And then, let's be honest, there are the presents. All wrapped under the tree. See, I've, I've got a problem. I've gotten better as I've gotten older, I've gotten better as an adult, but I have this problem with presents. And the problem is, is the fact that when I buy something for someone, I get so excited about what I have bought for them that it's hard for me to keep it to myself. And so I want to tell them what I have gotten them. As an adult, I have been able to develop at least a modicum of self-control. But as a child, it was... Hopeless. In fact, it got so bad to the point that mom and dad really couldn't take me Christmas shopping. Because I'd go with dad and we'd buy something for mom. And the, the second we met up with her in the mall, normally at the coffee shop, immediately I would have to tell her what we had just bought her. Because I was so excited about it. Because it, it, it brings me joy to buy and give presents to people. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Gary Chapman and five love languages, but, but the giving of gifts, that's my primary love language, man. I, I love doing that. I love thinking about it, figuring out what it is, maybe something big, maybe something small, but something that's going to bring you joy. And it gives me joy to do that for you and to give it to you. And so it gives me joy, and I know that it's going to give the other person joy, and so I just I have to share it with them. Because that's what we do, right? When things give us joy, we want to share them with the world. Early on in this season, when Wake Forest looked as if they were going to be totally unstoppable, it brought me a great deal of joy, and I couldn't shut up about it, right? Just point out, we're still ranked ahead of North Carolina State. 
but it gives us joy. We, we want to talk about the things that give us joy. It's why, why new parents spam our social media feed with pictures of their baby. It's our nature. Because we want others to share in that happiness and that joy with us. And so it should not surprise us that in Scripture we find that God is eager to share the joy of Christ's birth even before it was time for Christ to arrive. The incarnation, which is Jesus' birth, God's coming to earth as a human, is the greatest gift that has ever been given to any of us. And as we read Scripture and as we read God's promises, we can sense God's excitement for the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that He is giving to us in Jesus. We see this excitement all over Scripture. So like I said, we're going to start in Isaiah 40 and then we're going to jump over to Luke 1. So we're in Isaiah 40. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Isaiah chapter 40, starting with verse 3. A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jumping over now to Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 8. When his, this is a man named Zechariah, who was a priest of God, when his division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. It happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. What an interesting detail. Standing to the right of the altar. But the angel said, uh, but when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice in his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of the Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Even in this moment, smart enough not to call his wife old. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And let's jump over real quick to verse 57. Now the time for Elizabeth to give now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great, his great mercy. They rejoiced with her. 
When they came to circumcise this child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them, and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, as we seek this morning to root ourselves in your joy, to understand your joy, to to see the joy that Christ brings into our life. I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. May be seated. So what we see in both of these passages, both in Isaiah and in Luke, is this desire that God has to tell people that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, is coming. There's there's great joy in this. Because Jesus' birth is the source of true joy. Jesus' birth is the source of true joy. All other joy that we have comes from this joy. As I said a while ago, the, the, the gift of Jesus to us is the, truly the best gift that has ever been given. The church has often referred to Jesus as the, as the hinge of history. It is the, the event upon which everything hangs. Right? A door hangs on a hinge. But it is also the event around which everything moves. All of human experience is about this gift. So Isaiah speaks to this coming gift. There's a prophetic word given about someone who will prepare the world for the arrival of Jesus. Now, this is written hundreds of years before its fulfillment. But it's, but it's a joyful promise from God about the future. God promises that there will be a time of preparation before Christ's birth. That there's going to be a, a straightening, right? The highway is going to be made straight. And the the high places will be brought down and the low places will be brought up. There's going to be a leveling that will take place ensuring that the glory of God in Jesus is going to be available to all people. God makes a promise to Abraham, by your descendants, every people, every nation in the world will be blessed. And here we see this promise to Abraham beginning to come true in Jesus. When I, when I read these verses in Isaiah, I, I, I sense the joy that God has to share with the world. A world that's been broken with sin and will be made right. 
We, we look at the world around us and we are horrified at some of the things that we see. And it, and it, it saddens us. I don't know if any of y'all have seen the devastation with the tornadoes in western Kentucky and through that, that region of the country. It should, it should break our hearts to see that suffering. If it breaks our hearts, how much more does it break the hearts of the almighty, perfect, holy, glorious God? He looks and his heart breaks. But in the midst of that, God knows something that we don't. God knows that Jesus is coming. And that the brokenness will be mended. And the sin washed away. And the tears dried and the sorrow ceases. If we knew, if we knew that someone in our life who was facing extraordinary difficulty was going to come into a situation in which all of those difficulties would be made right, would it not give us a great sense of joy? The joy of God to look on his people and to see that their promise and their redemption was coming. But, but they need to be prepared. And preparation is, is really the key to enjoying any, any good event, isn't it? I don't know, I don't know what your experiences are preparing for, say, Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. But it's a lot easier and it's a lot more joyful if you're prepared appropriately, right? If you've done the work that you need to do to sit down with the recipes, make sure that you're not running to the grocery store at the absolute last possible minute because there is no place in the world in which we can see the depravity of man as clearly as the grocery store on Christmas Eve. We're prepared. We, we do certain things. We prepare things ahead of time. And it creates a much more joyful experience, doesn't it? We prepare ourselves when we go on a trip. A trip's a lot more enjoyable when we are appropriately prepared, right? I mean, I joke that, I, you know, I think I've got everything, but as long as I've got my credit card, we can handle toothbrush and toothpaste if I've forgotten it. But life is better when we have everything in the suitcase and we're prepared and we're packed. And we're not waiting until five minutes before to get it all done. Preparation is key. Preparation is, is key. And so God wants us to be prepared. God wants us to be prepared. That's the promise in the Old Testament is that, is that we are going to be prepared John came to prepare the way before the first coming of Christ. And Christ has left His church to prepare the world for the second coming of Christ. See, God sent John because He didn't want the people to miss out. It was a signpost for what was to come. It was to remove barriers that would be in the way of experiencing the miraculous arrival of Jesus. There was no desert, there was no mountain, there was no valley, no rugged place that would stand in the way of the revelation of Christ. 
And Christ has left His church, has left us as a signpost to what is to come. To remove the barriers that people have to experiencing the joy. To to speak to them about the coming of Christ. In which those ways will be made straight, the valleys lifted up, and all will see and understand the glory of Christ. That's the promise. Right? The promise is every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we are called to prepare the world for that. Because of the joy. Because we should know what is coming. We're going to be spending some time starting in January on Wednesday night looking at Revelation. And we've done this thing where Revelation has turned into this big, scary thing. Church, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be joyful. Because guess what? I've read the end. Jesus wins. And every tear is dried. And every sin is forgiven. And the world is put right. And the new heaven and the new earth come together. We think of the second coming of Jesus is something to fear. Brothers and sisters, if you fear the second coming of Christ, you don't know Christ. Because if you know Him, you know the joy that it will bring to you and to all who believe. As we move into Luke, we see this, this character, Zechariah. Zechariah is is a priest who serves in the temple in Jerusalem. And we see him doing this very specific thing, which is to enter the sanctuary while the people are outside praying and offer an incense sacrifice on the, the incense altar. And he comes in and he's confronted with this angel. And he has the exact same response that every person in Scripture who is confronted by an angel has. He is terrified. Because a fraction of a sliver of a tiny portion of God's glory is present with that angel. And it terrifies him. And yet, like we hear over and over again in Scripture, the first words to the angel to him are what? Fear not. Fear not. And the angel says, look, I know that you and your wife, you've been praying for a child and those prayers are going to be answered. The birth of Christ is not the only miraculous birth that we read about in the Christmas story. The birth of John is a miraculous birth. Zechariah is old and his wife, as I mentioned, is well along in years. Smart man. But the angel says, you're going to give birth to a son and you're going to name him John. And he says this, he says, you, he will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. His birth is going to bring you joy. He's going to be filled with the Spirit. See, the angel knows that this boy is going to be special, that this boy is the voice calling in the wilderness that Isaiah prophesied about that God is going to use him to bring joy to his family and joy to the entire world because he will prepare the way for Jesus 
He was going to live life in a very peculiar and particular way. And read about John. John lives his life in a very peculiar, peculiar and particular way. And it is that testimony of his life. It's because of his life that he was able to prepare people for the wonderful thing that was about to happen. See, it's a joy to prepare people to experience God. It is a joy to prepare people to experience God. If you've ever had that experience, you know what I'm talking about. To see someone that you've spent time with, whom you've discipled, who you've poured into, who you've prayed for, to see them experience God in a real and powerful way, sometimes for a first time and sometimes for a millionth time, it fills you with joy. One of the great joys of the Christmas season is the opportunity that we are given to prepare the way for others to see Jesus for who He really is. You know, many of us see every year the Charlie Brown Christmas special. There was an article that was written that was published, I think last year maybe, in the Atlantic Magazine by a woman named Caitlin Flanagan talking about she grew up in a household that was, that was rabidly atheist. Her parents intentionally kept faith as far away from her as possible. And yet, year after year after year as a child, she would watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special because they were okay with Christmas. And year after year, she would hear the gospel proclaimed as Linus recites the passage from Luke. And it was preparing her. It was preparing her to experience God. We can use and, and, and experience Christmas this way. The most joyful people during this time of year, I think, are the ones who have experienced the hope and peace of God in their lives because of their trust in Jesus and then are filled with joy to share that with other people. You see it in the, in the way they speak to others, in the way that they serve others, in the way that they treat others. Because the way they speak and serve and treat others, they see as a way of preparing others to meet Jesus. You know, joy is a commodity that is in short supply in our world. There's not a lot of joyful people. We got a whole lot more Ebenezer Scrooges and a whole lot fewer nephew uh, Fred's. Christmas Carol. Fred comes in. You remember that scene, right? Fred comes into the counting house, tells his uncle Merry Christmas, and how does Scrooge respond? Every fool who goes around with Merry Christmas on his lips, who experiences that joy, should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. We've got a lot more Scrooges in the world today than we have Fred's. There are people around us who are who are miserable. They're over their heads with their involvement in sin. They're, they're heartbroken over the pain of life. 
They're hopeless in the face of suffering. And I want to be clear, sin and pain and suffering are real. And even the believer experiences those things. But we have the hope and the peace and the joy of Jesus to get us to the other side. I don't know. There's something about this time of year, whether it's, it's the fact that we're all told all the time that we need to be joyful in this time of year. I don't know if it's the fact that it is the darkest time of year. But it seems to me that the angst and the pain and the misery sort of, sort of gets ratcheted up to a high level with a lot of people this time of year. And that means that it is precisely why this is the time to share the joy of Jesus with the world. And Charles Schultz knew what he was doing when he insisted, insisted when they produced the Charlie Brown Christmas special in 1965, insisted that Linus recite from Luke. Schultz knew what he was doing. An opportunity to share Jesus with a dark and broken and hurting world. So we can ask ourselves, what are we doing to sacrificially bring joy to those around us? How how can our life, how can my life be a beacon of hope because of the love that I have for Jesus and Jesus' love for me? How can I be a John in today's world? But we're not quite done with this story in Luke. See, Zechariah's response uh, sort of comes with a consequence, doesn't it? He's not quite as bad as Abraham and Sarah. He doesn't quite laugh in the angel's face. But he expresses skepticism and cynicism about the good news that has been brought to him. And because of this, he's silenced. He's unable to speak until John is born. I don't know. I haven't asked Audrey. The nine months of her pregnancy may have been more pleasant if I hadn't been able to speak. Maybe this was a gift to Elizabeth. See, even though the good news of a God who comes to us in the flesh to rescue us seems too good to be true, our response should be marked by a deep faith and joy instead of skepticism and cynicism. Because Zechariah's response was skepticism and cynicism, he wasn't able to share it with other people. It was silence for nine months. And so then we, we sort of skipped ahead, right? And what happens is we skip ahead is we, we find the family. The family's gathered. It's time to take the baby for the baby to be named. And the family says, well, of course, you're going to call him Zechariah. You're going to name him after his daddy. And Elizabeth says, no, we're going we're to name him John. We're going to name him John. John means graced by God, or, or, or Jehovah has been gracious. In naming him, they're saying that joy and grace surrounds his life. God had been 
gracious in giving them a son. He's also been gracious to us because of John's life. The world would be prepared for the coming of Jesus. They have great joy. Their great joy comes from the grace of God. See, as they celebrated John's birth, as they shared in Elizabeth and Zechariah's joy, it's because of God's grace. John's life surrounded by joy, and the joy of the Lord's work is among them. And as soon as Zechariah acknowledges that God's grace had been visited upon them, he writes down on a first century equivalent of a little whiteboard, his name is John, and in doing so proclaims God's grace and God's graciousness, he's able to respond. And how does he do? The first thing he does isn't go, oh man, i got nine months of stuff worth to tell you. No, the first thing he does is he praises God. He proclaims his joy. The grace that covered John's birth and life is the exact same grace that's been given to us. Zechariah and Elizabeth did nothing to earn God's grace. In fact, Zechariah did enough to annoy God. They did nothing. We do nothing to earn God's grace. It's a gift. God's grace is a gift that's given to us through Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. And we should be a people who are marked by joy because of this grace that's been given to us. When we live our lives rooted Surrounded by God's grace. Word spreads quickly and and, and people are in awe. Because they see God at work. So let me ask this. Are you a person who's marked by joy? I know sometimes I'm not. Are you someone who who knows that the joy at Christmas doesn't come from finding the perfect Christmas tree or, or having the best Christmas pageant or getting the Christmas card from the cute red-headed girl in class? But what Christmas is really all about, Charlie Brown, brothers and sisters, is the grace of God visited upon us. When we experience that grace, the joy that flows out of us, the people around us, that prepares the way for the Lord. I don't know if you've noticed, every prayer that we have at the lighting of the Advent wreath is ending with, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let us prepare the world. For Jesus to come, his grace poured out, 
and live in faith and hope and joy. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be 447, Trust and Obey.